On this episode, I'm in the room with Kelly O'Dell Stanley discussing her book, Praying Upside Down. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 40. I'm Ryan Hughley, and if you're listening for the first time, I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. There's lots of ways for you and I to stay connected online by visiting my blog at ryanhughley.com. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. In the Room is your opportunity to eavesdrop on my conversations with interesting people. Each week, I sit down with people of varied backgrounds, perspectives, and vocations, so I end up talking with pastors, professors, authors, and artists about their stories, their crafts, and how they do what they do. Just before we jump into this week's episode, I wanted you to know that this is going to be the final episode of the summer. It's hard to believe we've already posted 40 conversations, and I'm so excited about more episodes already taking shape for the fall. Thanks so much for listening and for all of your help in spreading the word. We're going to be back with new episodes at the beginning of September. On this final episode of the summer, I'm in the room with Kelly O'Dell Stanley, the author of a new book on prayer entitled Praying Upside Down. In my conversation with Kelly, we discussed the pros and cons of growing up in various denominations of the church, the role of creativity in prayer, and what it means to pray upside down. Thanks for listening, and now come in the room for my conversation with Kelly O'Dell Stanley. Well, Kelly, thanks so much for uh, coming on in the room. I really appreciate it. Excited to talk to you about your new book, uh, Praying Upside Down. And uh, I wanted to start by learning a little bit more about you. You've written a book um, on prayer, um, and so you're an author. But one of the things that I learned in reading your book is that you don't necessarily fit neatly into one vocational box. So, so tell me a little bit about what all it is that you do. Well, thanks for having me, Ryan. Of course. Um, yeah, I'm a graphic designer by trade. Um, I've had my own business for 21 years, which has been great because I have three kids and I was able to work at home while I raised my kids. Um, But obviously, I'm a writer now, too. So in my mind, it all fits in the same box. It's all creativity, and it's just a different way of creating a picture. Um, And that's sort of how I see it. So, you know, instead of thinking of it as separate things, I just see it as different ways of implementing my creativity. Yeah. So. And so how did writing come to be for, cause I know you've written for other publications and blogs. And so how did writing come to be for you? Um, it really started when I kind of, I don't know how to define that time, but when I got in church, when I really started seeking God, sure. um, I'd always been able to write, but I didn't feel like I had anything to say. Yeah. And, um, Sometime a graphic designer, I got involved by designing our church's um, bulletin every month okay. or every week, and I was always looking for something to put in there, some sort of inspirational thing, and I just couldn't find what I needed, and so I started writing, you know, this awesome. three to five hundred words every week. Um, started out as anonymous because I was afraid. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, when people liked them, I started putting my name, and it just kind of went from there. So, it's just kind of, I discovered... For me, it's the most fulfilling kind of art that I do. So. Okay. So you are you live in Indiana now, correct? Yes, and a is small that, town. Yeah, is that where you're from originally? I am. I'm from a much smaller town than the small town I'm in right now. Okay. Um, but I went to um, Ball State University in Muncie. I thought I wanted to be an architect. Yeah. Um, discovered that I love design, but I like two dimensions better than three. So I ended up in graphic design, um, lived in Indianapolis for a while, and then I had my kids and I wanted to be closer to my parents. And so we're back in a small town now. That's awesome. I actually lived in Muncie for three months. I did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It was, it was short lived. And then I came back up here to Chicago. Yeah. Uh, but so tell me a little bit about, I know that you just said recently, you may not have an exact moment, but how, how, or when did you kind of come to faith in Jesus? What was that process or journey like for you? 
It started a long time ago when I was in sixth grade. This girl moved to my town, my school, and had a slumber party and took us all to her Baptist revival. Uh-huh. And I went forward that night to be baptized. Um, and then I just kind of did my own thing for many years through high school and college. Um, after when I met my husband in college, I joined the Catholic Church. He'd been raised Catholic, and I went with him one week, and we loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I like the reverence and the awe yeah. of the way they approach God. And then we moved to Crawfordsville, and there, you know, we just really hadn't found our place here. And long story short, we got invited to another church um, where I am now. Absolutely loved it. And, you know, I felt God just really get hold of me. You know, I, all of yeah. a sudden I realized there was so much more than I knew about. Everything had been sort of superficial up to that point. And, um, and it was just really amazing. It really opened yeah. my eyes to a lot of things. Well, I, that's one of the pieces of your story that I found really interesting throughout the book was that was the diversity in your church background. So, mm-hmm. did you grow like growing up in your home? Did your were your parents Catholic? Um, no, my parents were. My dad went to a um, oh Church of God okay. church, and my mom had grown up in a Disciples of Christ church, I believe it was. Okay, um, but they'd both been made to go to church, and so they wanted to give their kids the chance to find their own way. Okay, and they didn't go to church, right. and so I kind of went into it without much background. Oh, I left out the most important part of my other story. Yeah, so. The girl who had the slumber party at which I was baptized, yeah. I became friends with her again. Not that we'd lost touch. We just kind of sure. grew apart. Um, after I moved back to Crawfordville when I had my young children, she was a teacher at the, pre- at the parents' day out where I took my kids. Yep. And now she is my pastor, my co-pastor, my pastor's wife. Okay. And so I just love that you know God planted that seed in me in sixth grade yeah, and, it kind and of then came brought it circle. around full circle. And yeah. now you know, she's my biggest influence spiritually. Yeah. So. So, so you kind of grew up with parents in different streams a little bit, and then you go to a Baptist church, and then you were Catholic, and then now you're in right. a Protestant Pentecostal church. And right. so that's a, there's a, I kind of grew up that same way where there was a high level of diversity. I didn't fit into, or I didn't, it's not that I didn't fit. I just didn't grow up in one stream. Mm-hmm. And so right. I was wondering in reading your story, cause I've seen some in my own life, but what, what have been some of the benefits of you experiencing various streams of Christian faith? Um, I think the biggest benefit is that I've seen beyond boundaries because I see God working in all of them. I see God through people in different traditions and different expressions of their faith and their worship. And um, I was exposed to a lot of things all at once. My sister and her husband joined the Methodist church. My mom joined the Episcopal church when I was an adult. Um, You know, I have a friend who was raised Jewish. We had these discussions. There was this whole, you know, and I could see all of it. And I think it's just because it came all together at once. And because as an artist, I'm guess trained to notice just notice what's going on around me Uh and so um it just somehow all the connections sort of fell into place and it all happened about the same time as i really was like discovering god for myself so it's foundational this one big church versus a specific denomination yeah i I wonder though if you because i've i have seen this in my own life i wonder if you have seen any are there any downsides for you like um in 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 not being a part of kind of one stream and having a really deep rich faith tradition you know if you will in like one type of church has there been any any downsides for you in, in not having that sort of like historical connection um 
The only downside is I'm sort of a skeptic at heart, so okay. it's hard for me. It, I absolutely take in what I get wherever yeah. I can find God wherever, but you know I have I can't buy into this is the only way or yeah. there's one church yeah. um, because I see one capital C big church. Right. So you know that's I think, but I don't know if that has to do with the lack of a history of a tradition or if that's just the way I've kind of approach the world. Yeah. I have to examine a lot of things before yeah. I move forward. I know one thing for me, uh, like I think one of the downsides when you grow up in one, one faith tradition is that you tend to view the church very narrowly. And, mm-hmm. um, and even when you, when, when you think about or you look at or you talk about people who are a part of other faith traditions, it tends to be caricatures, you know, a lot right. of the time, especially when it's right. critical in nature. And, and because you don't really know people, you just see mm-hmm. positions and issues that you differ with. I think that can be a downside. Right. But I've, I've noticed that for myself, I kind of have to be careful the other way, where because I know people, especially when it comes to, to truly like theological differences that we might have mm-hmm. that are significant, I think those things right. matter. Um, I, I sometimes have a tendency to downplay the significance of, of theological differences that I may have with people of other faith traditions because I know them as people. You know what right. I mean? I like, absolutely know. Like, yeah. so you, uh, this person's sincere and kind and loving and generous. And so I'm prone to go, hey, the fact that you believe differently about this issue isn't such a big deal. When the truth is, like it is. I think, you know, we need to steward those differences well and still be kind right. and loving in the midst of it. But it's okay to see, di- you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. I think it's a fine line too. And that's yeah. something I've really been wrestling with or just really praying about lately that, yeah. you know, that I won't misrepresent God. Yeah. I won't be so open and, you know, yes, this is great. Whatever right. you do is great because I believe that. But at the same time, I don't want to steer someone the wrong way. Right. So I'm just really praying that I can find that line to yeah. be authentic and true and represent him in yeah. an accurate way. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, do you feel like, I I wonder in in sort of these different uh, experiences and faith traditions that you've been a part of, have you learned something specific and different about prayer in each one? Yeah, I think I have. Um, Specifically the Catholic Church, because um, when I was there, what drew me was I would walk into this big stone cathedral. It was whole atmosphere. It was everything. And, you know, the lights filtering in and all these people are saying the same prayers. And I'm like, wow, I'm part of something big. You know, he's majestic and the reverence and the awe. Um, And then eventually I ended up in my church, which has its roots in the Pentecostal church. Uh And it's very personal relationship. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And I love that. I love that. But sometimes I think, you know, even within my tradition, we get to, we forget how big and powerful God is. We've got to remember He's both. So I think, you know, we may have the personal side down. You know, the Catholic Church, I'm totally stereotyping, and I'm really not that way. But the Catholic Church may have the awe and reverence down. I think we both need some of what each other has. Totally, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how... We tend to, whether it be denominations or even just as people, we tend to, to err. God is both transcendent and imminent in that he's, yes. he is near. He's set apart and otherly and holy, and but he's near as well. Yes. And um, that more high church cathedrals and stained glass and all, they, they do a good job of communicating even just visually transcendence. Yes. And right. then like the kind of churches that, that the, the kind of church you're a part of now, the kind that I pastor, you know, like yes. we, we meet in a theater, not a movie theater, but 
but it doesn't feel transcendent when you walk right. in. You know what I mean? So, right. so uh, yeah, I think that that's great to have both of those things. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but I wanted to share a simple way that you can help support In The Room. As you know, most weeks I'm talking with someone who's written a book about something. Now, I love books, and I know firsthand how expensive it can be to try to keep up with all the books that you'd like to read, including the ones that you hear about on this show. And this is why I'm so excited about our new partnership with Givingtons.com. Like Amazon, they sell books at discounted rates, but here's what's great for In The Room. When you buy a book through our store, we receive a portion of that sale to help continue bringing great weekly content. So for whatever featured book we're discussing on this week's episode, we receive a full $2. And for books from past episodes, we receive $1.25. Now you've probably heard me say this before, but I want to help get this podcast to as many people as possible, and I need your help. So will you keep spreading the word on social media, and will you consider buying this week's book through givingtons.com? Just go to givingtons.com slash in the room. There you're going to find not only this episode's book, but books written by past guests as well. So check out our new store at givingtons.com slash in the room. Thanks so much for your help. And now back to the conversation. Well, I want to talk about, before we talk about the book in particular, I want to talk um, uh, just a a little bit about your process in writing it, because the book and reading it was interesting because it feels almost like a memoir to some extent. Would you agree with that? Or how do you think about it by way of like genre? I do. It, I keep saying it's about 80% memoir. Um, That's what I love to read. It's what I love to write. It's really sort of my only formal writing training was I audited a senior English major seminar in memoir at a local college. Okay. Um, And I love that you can portray a universal truth with a personal story. I just love that aspect of it. So, I mean, that's how I know to write. That's how I know to share my story. So, you know, that is sort of the framework for the book, but it has, you know, more practical applications because I just, that's just the way it came to me, I guess. Yeah. Which is helpful. I'm, I'm curious about your process because it is more narrative how, how did you, like, I, I mean, I was working through it for over a week and I'm like, how in the world did she put this together? So did you <laughs> sit down and did you kind of outline, here's how the chapters are going to unfold or, or were you just trying to follow what God's taught you in the last few years about prayer and let it happen timeline? Like, how did that break down for you? Well, when I first had the idea for the book, when I realized that everything I knew about art applied to prayer, um, I was driving home and I was scribbling in a notebook, looking at the road, scribbling beside me. And it was just all these ideas about art. And I just started researching art. And it was really, the framework was just, here are some different art concepts and here's how they relate to prayer. But as I wrote, and I didn't write them all in order, um, but as I wrote, things just sort of flowed into the next story. So it kind of found its own structure as I went through it, I guess. Yeah. I know when you're writing anything, you you tend to have some sort of audience in mind at some point. Mm-hmm. And so, when you think about this book, who who do you who are you writing this book for? What type of person do you think would most profit from 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 this book? Um, I really had in mind a person who was not necessarily already in church. Somebody who, you know, I thought of people who maybe had some kernel of faith, but they had been hurt by a formal religion, or they had, you know, had people within a church somehow hurt them. I just, I don't know, I'm really, my heart's really drawn to people who still want God, even though they've been hurt somewhere along the way, they still are trying to find their own way. And I guess because my 
way of looking at, you know, finding God isn't particular to a certain church or denomination. I kind of, I guess that's where my soft spot is, and that's yeah. what I had in mind. Yeah. And I also had trouble, you know, coming in, really kind of coming into church as an adult after studying, you know, the Bible as literature in college or whatever. Right. It was hard for me to bypass what professors had taught me about this as symbolic, and you can't take sure. this seriously, and, you know, all of that. And so, I really, part of my faith growth was working through those questions and doubts and fighting the cliches and the the things people say that didn't make sense and using all that terminology. And, you know, it sort of felt like when people say certain things, you know, covered by the blood or whatever, right. although I know what that is and I believe and I agree, right. I think it it's sort of an in the club. Totally. And yeah. so, I just really didn't want to do that because I thought, I want to share what I feel like God has given me, and I want to do it in a way that it doesn't have the things will automatically be discarded. Right. So. No, I think the quickest way to kill an evangelistic conversation <laughs> is to ask someone if they're covered by the blood. Yeah. <laughs> that is not a good, that's not a good pickup line at all. So, no, I like I liked the way that you, <clears throat> because you came to faith later in life, or at least where it became a more serious thing for you, um, I think that that gives you fresh eyes and you tend to like, I grew up in the church and um, you know, now I've been a pastor for almost a decade. And I think that there's just so many, I was with a, a new believer, young guy this morning and I, I get overwhelmed sometimes in those conversations because I realize in the moment how much I do take for granted or I do right. assume that I just know. So I think it's great. We need people that are able to go and like, you know, I haven't been in the club as long and this right. language or these concepts are difficult. And so I like the way that you kind of were able to write out of your own wrestling. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad, I'm glad you got that. Yes, <laughs> I did. It, so. Well, okay. um, let's talk about the book, uh, or the concept, but let's just start with prayer in general. Again, you know, like, I think the great thing is you don't assume anything. So I don't want to assume that everybody listening <laughs> knows what that. So when you think about prayer, how do you define prayer or what is prayer? I think of it as simple as communicating with God. You yeah. know, it can be talking to him. It can be on your knees. It can be, you know, whatever way. Someone asked me one day, they said, okay, so when I was mad at God because he took my husband, her husband had suddenly passed away. Yeah. She said, so when I'm sitting there crying and yelling at him, is that prayer? And I'm like, absolutely. You know, prayer is just reaching out to God. It, sometimes it has words, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's emotion. Sometimes it's liturgy. I just, I just think it's a lot broader than people give it credit for. Yeah. That's what I tell people too. Like when we teach our, our, our classes here, I just tell people prayer is talking with God and mm -hmm. you should be very careful careful about anyone that tries to overcomplicate it a whole lot more right. than that. So, right. what then do you mean, kind of the unique thing that you bring to the table is this whole idea of praying upside down. What, for, for people listening, I remember when I first heard the title, the main reason I wanted to talk to you before I'd even read the book, I saw it on Tyndale's website, and I was like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> so, so, what does it mean to pray upside down? Um, when I was an art major in college, I discovered that if you turn an image upside down when you copy it, it frees your mind to see what's really in front of you instead of what you expect to see in front of you. We have all these definitions in our brain of, you know, we think a face is roundish and we think right. an eye looks like this. And, you know, we, we don't see what's really there. So, if you turn something upside down and copy it like Betty Edwards did in the 70s and with her groundbreaking book, Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain, um, we see what's really in front of us. So, when I 
my husband and I owned two houses for two years. Uh We thought we were going to sell one and make a bunch of money and pay to renovate the other. And we didn't sell. And, you know, in that process, God revealed to me that I was to pray for the woman who would buy my house instead of me. And that took the focus off of me. But at the end of it, I saw all that had happened in her life. And I thought, you know, he had me praying upside down, just like when you draw upside down. Because instead of looking for what I thought the answer should look like, I really just paid attention to what was actually going on. And mm-hmm. in that, I got to see him. So That's great. And, and what do you think? I mean... <clears throat> I think one of the things we, you know, we, we ask our church to fill out prayer requests every single week and to mm-hmm. drop them uh, when we take our offering and everything. And so we get 50, 60, 70 prayer requests every week. And uh, we've never had a week where um, a, at least a percentage of them were not about, I, I want to pray more, pray that I would mm-hmm. pray more, I want to read my Bible. And well, prayer is something that most Christians, I think it's fair to say, struggle with, at least at some point in their life. So why do you think that prayer is something that is so difficult for so many Christians? Um, I think at its core, it's because it's so abstract. There's nothing to hold on to. You know, we we pray, but we have no, you know, we're in a success-driven culture. We have no measurement to say this is effective or this is working or, you, you know, we know that there's always some way to do something better and it's abstract and this is the God of the universe and who are we to know if we're doing something with Him. Yeah. And, you know, and on top of that, we're busy and we're overscheduled and we don't have much time and, you know, I just think we fight a lot of things. We yeah. fight hurt feelings we've, you know, when I lost my mom to cancer almost four years ago, I was just mad and I was hurt. And I thought, how do I go to him if I'm not sure I like the way he answers prayer, you know? So, I mean, we all bring all kinds of things with us. And so, I just think that all of that combined makes prayer something really hard to dig into sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You just mentioned your disappointment or anger, but what are some of the things that keep people from coming? I mean, you have to be having a lot, an increasing number of conversations now with people about prayer uh, because of the book. So in your experience, what are some of the most common obstacles that keep people from praying? I think many people don't feel as though they deserve to come to God because they've done something wrong in their past yeah. or they or because they have not been coming to Him. So, just guilt. I hear a lot about guilt. Yeah. You know, I should do this better. I should do this better. And, you know, I think we beat ourselves up more than we just say, you know what? Yes, we should do it better. You know, God, forgive me and welcome me back. I'm coming, you know, just keep turning back. And I think yeah. that, you know, people are hurt. People are grieving or, you know, sorry or, you know, something. And I just think all those emotions get in the way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any time that guilt from sin keeps us from coming to God means that we have a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. Right. Uh, because we do fail, we do sin, and Jesus didn't, and he was perfect in our place, and he lived and died, and his uh, his his work on our behalf covers our sin and provides us access to God. And, and I, I just think it's amazing how often we have to be reminded of that uh, because uh, otherwise things that are key to our relationship with Christ, like prayer, just fall apart yeah. in the midst right. of that when we forget that. So right. yeah, that's true. I see that. What, are, what, are you, what would you say, it gets clear from your book that you uh, think that creativity in mode uh, of prayer is really important because I like at the end of every chapter, if people haven't seen it, you kind of have this like almost like creative exercise in which people can practice a different mode or expression right. of prayer. And so, why is that? Why do you think that 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 bringing creativity and mode to prayer is so important? 
Well, first of all, I think that, you know, God is the master of creativity. He creates and he makes something from nothing. And so I think when we lean on that aspect of our personalities, I think it brings us closer to him. But also because I have a short attention span, you know, I get distracted. I like something new. I get bored, you know. So for me, I've just had to sort of create all these different ways of looking at God. So because he's so, we can't fathom all the facets of him that there are. And so there are so many ways to reach him and so many different things. And so when I find myself sitting down and I have no words, then I'm like, okay, how can I how can I reach him? Because I want to find him. So, yeah. you know, I've just I've just tried a lot of different things. Like I said, I have a short attention span. So. Yeah. Well, how has um I I mean one of the things I I, I like the way I try to do this as well, but I, I like the way that you sort of uh take concepts that you've learned in the art world. And then the, you're you're drawing them into kind of the spiritual realm. And here's how I can apply these things that have been true here in in, in my in my prayer life. So, mm-hmm. but I wonder about how how is Scripture informed? You know, as one of the primary influences in your life, how is Scripture informed the way that you pray? Um, it is the backbone for all of this. It's it's the basis for praying upside down because you know Jesus was. He was a rebel. He came in and he gave different answers every time. He associated with the people that he wasn't supposed to. He, um, you know, he never gave the expected answer. You know, pray in private, not in public. You know, let the children come. Right. The least shall be the greatest. All those things were the opposite. And so, what I realized is, you know, praying upside down is not a new concept. It's based off of totally 100% based off the idea of how Jesus approached the world, how he built relationships and what he did. So it just hasn't been called that. So, you know, it it is the foundation for the, all of these ways that I pray. So, well, uh, there's been a lot of books that have been written on prayer, some that are helpful, some that are not so much, some that are good, (laughs) some that aren't. But when you think about your book in the midst of this long line of books, what do you feel like the unique contribution is that praying upside down makes? Um, I think, the connection to art obviously sets it apart in a different way, but Definitely. what what I'm hearing so far, this feedback that I've been getting about the book is that it frees people, people limit their definition of prayer and it just opens them up. It somehow does not condemn. I hope it doesn't condemn. It just says, you know, what you're doing is great and wonderful, but here's some more ways to find him. So I guess that's how I hope it yeah. is different. So, yeah, I think I can think of a couple for sure. I totally agree with what you just said. I think that if you have, uh, if you like art in any way, I think that there's for mm-hmm. sure an inroad here. Um, and it is very accessible. And I think particularly for the type of person that really prefers to read narrative and likes, mm-hmm. you know, story, because you right. can teach so much through story. Uh, I think that people like that will be, I'm not aware of another prayer book like this. So it's very unique in that for sure. And, uh, and you have some very engaging stories in there along the way. Out of curiosity, are there other, any other books that you have read on prayer that you recommend on prayer that have been helpful resources for you outside of your art books? My favorite, I don't, my favorite book on prayer is probably Micah Boyette's um, Found, Memoir on Prayer. Um, I, again, I'm drawn to memoir. I like hearing people's stories and hers is, you know, it's a very different approach, but there's just something really beautiful and authentic about it that I just really have been drawn to, so. 
Awesome. All right. So for someone uh, maybe that's listening and they're in a season where they're really struggling with prayer, prayer has not been coming naturally for them. They're struggling to want to pray. How would you, just to kind of close, how would you encourage them? Where would you encourage them? And I'm going to encourage them to buy your book. Um, <laughs> but how would you, like, what, where would you, what would you tell them to think about, to do, uh, where to start? I would just say do something different than what you're doing. It doesn't matter, you know, if you have always prayed in quiet at 5 a.m. when everybody's asleep and you're finding yourself not able to focus, then try something else. You know, sometimes it's as simple as changing our physical position. You know, sometimes maybe stand up, maybe speak out loud if you're quiet, maybe write if you typically, you know, pray in your head. Um, For me, writing's always a good place to start because it focuses, it physically engages, you know, my, I'm looking at the paper, I'm moving the pen. Um, and it forces my whole body to focus because when I don't have something like that to draw me in, I tend to get distracted and I'm looking around and I'm seeing all the things I need to do. And so, you know, writing is my tried and true thing, but Mm -hmm. I would just say, keep trying other things, you know, just switch it up. Yeah, so. I, I would say I've gone through seasons like that, and, and prayer is not the problem, but mode has been at times. Yes, yes. And uh, I would say for anyone that's like, well, I only know one way, then Praying Upside Down is a great book for you because you do at the end of every chapter have uh, kind of a fresh mode for people to experiment with and try, right. and not everything's going to work for everybody, but it'll at least help kind of inject ideas into that. So Right, and I say in the book, you know, don't adopt everything that I say. This is not a rule book. You know, it's right. learning tools and using them when they fit. Yeah. So, and it's not about throwing out what you already know. If you already have a good prayer life, that's great. But maybe, you know, if you know about these different things to try, maybe someday when you are stuck, those will help. So, Excellent. All right, Kelly. Well, thanks so much for the book and thanks for the conversation. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed being here. Thanks, Ryan. My thanks to Kelly for taking the time to chat and to you for taking the time to listen in. As always, I hope you found it helpful. Don't forget you can stop by my blog at ryanhugley.com for all the ways that you and I can stay connected via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll also find any additional show notes that you may want from today's episode. As always, I count it an honor to learn with you. I love you and thanks for listening.